0: You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David.
1: Hey Sean, how's it David, going? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. I'm still running my uh, my mindfulness group through the walled garden. We got a real we got a little showing there. I actually had to cancel one, but uh, we're doing it pretty much every week. And I'm really I'm really getting into mindfulness and meditation. I actually do my own mindfulness practice now. Just about every single morning and I've, I've actually noticed that benefit because I also run a therapy group almost every morning and you know we do mindfulness as part of starting that DBT group that uh, that I'm much more grounded already by the time I get to group if I did my morning mm-hmm. practice if I didn't do my morning practice then I'm like everybody else you know trying to get mindful but if I actually do it if I'm doing it two or three times a day it's like no now it's actually uh, working on the second try so. For for all the people who say I try to do mindfulness and it doesn't work, I can do it for five minutes at six a.m. and then do it for five minutes later and see if it yeah.
1: works. So anybody. I'm curious when you when you meditate, do you have like a guided meditation yeah. like on an app, or do you just like listen to music or just have your own that, thoughts?
0: That's the thing I'm trying to get really good at is improvising my own uh, guided things. So basically, any any moment somebody can say, "Hey, David, stop and do a meditation," and I can I can lead something. I have directions that uh, because that's a major part of my job. So I figure I should get better at it. Yeah, Yeah.
1: no, that's awesome. So sometimes I'll uh, do one or the other, like I'll listen to music, like, or like some like weird, like Gregorian chant, like religious music, or um, I'll just like listen to nothing or I'll listen to like a guided meditation, whatever I feel like at that moment. Um,
0: I think that's a great place to get started that I've, uh, you know, actually I think I first learned how to do a little bit of meditation at 18 years old, but I never did it consistently in any way. And then probably the last, definitely the last, six or seven years being a therapist i've uh, been practicing it, practicing it but not getting really good probably until the last like three months I would
1: say. yeah so. and uh, on my end I, like i told you that my lower back is finally um feeling better i've been seeing a physical therapist twice a week the last two months and starting next week we're only gonna see each other once a week um but because like my lower back has been feeling a lot yeah. better i've been able to go on long runs like the way that i used to and uh if I'm not listening to a podcast about how much a Tottenham Hotspur soccer team stinks, um, that's my team, by the way, Um, I'm listening to like, like I'll just like go on YouTube and type in like Norse meditation music or like, again, Gregorian chant or something like that. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool just to kind of like use those long runs to like shut your mind off and like meditate. And there's this like band that I keep uh, playing on YouTube called Danheim, which has like Norse music. It's pretty good, but uh, that's like what I've been doing. I should
0: check them out. I remember when I did all the research on the episode on runes, that there's this idea of chanting on the sound of the rune. And I don't, I I couldn't say much more about it other than that sounds like a cool idea, so yeah.
1: Cool. So should we get started? Yeah. What are we talking about? Yeah. So earlier this year, David and I finished our three part series on the events of Ragnarok, which resulted in the deaths of nearly everything, including, and everyone, including most of the gods, So now that we have completed that story, we decided to recap the story arcs of many of the primary players in Norse mythology, which we firstly did with Odin in a three-part series on his overall life story and journey. So this week will be the first of a two-part series on the god Thor, a god who, though undoubtedly powerful and feared by his enemies, comes off often as a one-dimensional blunt instrument who wields a mighty hammer and views all of his problems as a nail to well be hammered. If we were to look at that character in what I would consider to be his younger adventure years or younger adventurous years, we see that his fighting prowess doesn't always allow him to see victory. So today we're going to be focusing on some of the stories where Thor does show himself to be powerful, but will also show him to be easily outwitted or tricked, as we have seen with his father Odin, the giant Utgard-Loki, a.k.a. Skrymir, for example. And we are going to be discussing whether or not every failure... Of thor could potentially be looked at as a lesson so by the end of this series david and i will be discussing thor's overall growth and eventually his death at ragnarok and and one other thing i did want to add here uh there's really no set in stone chronological timeline of the events of norse mythology like you do have the beginning and the end, and you can assume everything else in between is in the middle but ultimately what we're trying to do here is like choose stories where thor does come off as like somebody who is younger and maybe not as smart as somebody that has experienced world growth. And then in part two, we're going to be discussing that level of Thor where maybe he has shown that he has grown into be the God that he's supposed to be, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. the uh, I'm just remembering a kind of a, a thought that came to my mind when we were going through the Odin section, that part of, you know, it's it sounds like from what we, you know, a little bit, I read about history and you know, what the people who actually pay attention to history kind of collect that people really liked Thor that maybe actually a lot of people really like worshiped Thor, but maybe it was the nobility that liked Odin. So when they're doing these poems for a King or a, uh, some kind of a leader that they'd make Odin the, you know, the, uh, the champion or the guy to admire and Thor kind of making fun of him being like, Oh, that's just the lower class people like Thor. Um, but the other part of him, you know, like you said, kind of stumbling and finding his way is the idea of the, the archetype of the hero or the hero's journey. But that's different from the warrior. And so, if you, you know, young analysts who talk about this what is a hero archetype? What is a warrior archetype? That the hero goes on the journey and hopefully becomes a true warrior by the end, or, or sometimes even becomes a king by the end. It sort of varies how uh, different stories. But so, that part that, yeah, he's uh, very strong and very powerful, but has a lot to learn. And then what is it he has to learn alone?
1: Yeah, way? and that kind of makes me think about like his overall hero's journey, and like you mentioned, like whether or not he's supposed to become a warrior, which he sort of already is, or the king. And I, I'm going to briefly touch on this in a little bit. Um, if he is the son of Odin, he would be considered that one that needs to step up and you know take care of things when Odin you know or like his father eventually may pass. Um, but Boulder is already designated as that person, so like that's yeah. where we're going i'm going to also get into this like odin's um overall approach to fatherhood i wonder if it's like any different between balder and it is thor
0: and it's that part we don't get a ton of stories about balder but balder's supposed to be the golden child yeah. right the the uh the first in line that thor is the redheaded stepchild right i mean that's as much as he's you know the the most admired uh kind of god by uh many that there's that interesting detail right that his mother is not the legitimate queen of the kingdom um, yeah and then that distinction, that word hero and warrior sound like they're about the same, but um, I'm trying to think of a good reason why those words are used to make the distinction. But certainly, uh, Robert Moore, who I brought up frequently talking about archetypes, uh, his idea is that the warrior, the difference between the, the hero and the warrior is that the warrior follows the king. If they're really a warrior, they're following a king. Uh, heroes, you know, a lot of the myths and stories, even from uh, from Greeks and other traditions, the hero kind of is doing his own thing. He's sort of out on his own. He sort of does a quest for this group. He goes somewhere else, does a quest for somebody else. The idea that the warrior is supposed to be following either God or a king. Um, what, me just yeah, say that. no,
1: that's really cool. And that's sort of a good, um, somewhat like sort of a good segue into like the first uh, bit that I wanted to discuss with this episode. Because um, I did want to review Thor and his parents. Um, so his father Odin, and then his mother is apparently the personification of the earth. So we have discussed Odin um, obviously on this podcast many times and maybe not relevant to this story, but I know we've discussed this when we did our series on Odin where where Odin's father Bor shows up just like in the stories as being Odin's father, but he's kind of like an absent father at that point. So like, again, like I wonder if that kind of like affected Odin's approach to fatherhood with Thor. And when Odin like does look at Balder as like this, this uh shiny beacon of his like seed, I guess he may look at Thor as like a bumbling idiot, which we see in Harvard's lawn.
0: Right. But then that part that, you know, does Odin know what to do with his, with a son, right? Does he know how to be a father and that place then that, that probably Thor really reminds him of himself, right? The, uh, the not favored child that, that the hero almost always is. They, they don't have a personal father. Either their father died early or their father is a god who showed up, impregnated the mother, yeah. disappeared, things like that. That's a very common idea for heroes, right? So why is Thor the hero? It's just, and the idea, it's not just that they thought about this when they wrote the stories, it's just archetypally, that's the way it goes, right? There's something about it. The human, the way the human brain writes stories, essentially, is an interesting theory. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah sure. Um, so I did want to make a note here about Thor's mother, because um, uh, like, we have mentioned that his mother is the personification of the earth, which I, I just mentioned. Um, But we haven't really gone too far into her being brought up in the sources. So I did make a few notes here. So in Gilfagini in Chapter 10, you find out that Earth, so Thor's mother, was apparently the daughter of Night, the personification of Nighttime. And Anar, Night, was the daughter of Norfi or Narfi. So you just get a little bit of his or her family line there. Chapter 35 mentions that Earth, the mother of Thor, is one of the goddesses. And then in Scott Skopremal, also from the Seta, where Bragi is learning from Aegir, or Aegir is learning from Bragi, like about the use of kennings, he says, how should Earth be referred to? And the response is, call it the flesh of Ymir, the mother of Thor, the daughter of Anar, the bride of Odin, the rival concubine of Frigg, Rind, and Gunlad, the mother-in-law of Sif, the floor or footing of the Hall of the Winds, the sea trodden by animals, and the daughter of Night, and the sister of Odd and Day. Um, So one quick note here, that Odin had relations, if you take things literally, with the corpse of Ymir, um, which gave birth to Thor, and he apparently in some capacity married the corpse of Ymir, or just made the corpse of Ymir one of his concubines. And I'm not too familiar with the differences between you know, old times, uh, marriage when compared to concubinage. But like, I do know one of them is probably more, um, consensual. It's,
0: it's the real, well, it's the real question of whether they allowed multiple wives yeah. or was it always kind of like then nice a secondary, uh, position. Yeah. I guess like you're saying maybe more like a, uh,
1: owning property. Yeah. yeah. And so like, this is interesting because like this kind of props earth up as the same level as Frigg since they are rival concubines. And yeah. you typically consider Frigg to be like the primary spouse of Odin. So it's at one point. It, it, yeah, just
0: Interesting thought is that uh, you know that uh, that Balder and Thor are kind of being rivals, although it doesn't really come up that often. But then that that they're fighting out the fight of their mothers, Frig and Earth, being uh, rivals. Who is Rind again? I can't remember.
1: Um, I mean, she's mentioned, I believe, in Baldur's drama. Um, she's the she's the mother of, shit, I don't know, I forgot Valley. I think yeah. Valley or uh, something. I,
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Which is that yeah, not a very major character, but one of the uh you know becomes more relevant as the story goes on. And then they, they list Gunlad on there as well. And I'm like, I don't think Gunlod <laughs> ranks with Friggin Earth, even as they say rival uh, concubines.
1: Yeah, no, definitely I thought that Gunlad being there was kind of funny as well. So anyway, that was uh that's Thor's mother. And so we're gonna go back to Thor and his relationship with Odin, and I'm not gonna harp too much on Harbard's lodge just because we discussed that on our series with Odin, but we did discuss whether or not um well I guess uh, to to break it down really quick Thor is out east east fighting giants he's on his way back home he comes to this river where this ferryman is there Thor demands passage across the river and the ferryman who is actually Odin in disguise says no then Odin proceeds to belittle Thor insult him um, and it results in this like insult contest that Odin clearly wins so we discuss and yeah, it's also ahead.
0: a very fun aspect they use a lot they really emphasize a lot that Thor is the Son of the Earth, his, his mother's the Earth, because there are often things like ah, Thor. Why don't you go cry to your mother and things like that, yeah. <laughs> just to re, you know, to always emphasize that. Another little thing I was going to mention, I think, just might be interesting to fans because I thought it was interesting when I learned it. So that the word Earth that we use in modern English really does come from the the Old Norse, or at least the you know common roots with uh, Anglo-Saxon, um, you know, Old English that. They would spell her name as either like J-O-R-D, yeah. but it's that D that makes a T-H sound. So, jorth or orth. So, the idea earth, orth is um, kind of just the way you would pronounce that same word. I don't know. I find that very neat when I when I read it.
1: Yeah. Of, in the Prosetta copy that I, I usually go over, it's translated by Jesse Biok. He Like, in some passages, yeah. he just writes out the word yord, like J-O-R-D, yeah. um, but that's supposed to mean earth, yeah. so...
0: Yeah. That The way you say it, it sounds almost like Earth would be yours, Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Um, and so just real quick in Harbard's Laud, we did discuss whether or not this was Odin having fun, like, because he was bored by trolling Thor, but we also discussed um, maybe Odin seeing that his son Thor needed a dressing down to, like, teach him a lesson. So, like, maybe the events of Harbard's Laud were Odin challenging his son's uh, shortcomings to help him grow and teach his son a valuable lesson. And I, I do kind of like to look at Thor's stories like each one even the ones where he's successful as like some type of lesson in his story arc and and we'll see that i think um, as we discuss a few more of these stories yeah
0: as you said there's no formal chronology but there is quite often it seems like there obviously is a chronology because there'll be like a story where they're making fun of him for something that happened earlier yeah so it's like well clearly this had to happen later so is that you really have to <laughs> spend a lot of time reading these to find the uh the timeline that Sean has. And then there's places where it's like, <laughs> where it all falls apart, creative inspiration. Yeah. You just got to do a little creative inspiration on the timeline. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. Again, that's that, my disclaimer from earlier. Cause uh, my, my, my thought process of how these, how these stories may fall together can easily be debunked. So, so we have a couple stories here that kind of like touch on Thor being a one dimensional character. Um, who's easy to anger, maybe known as a great fighter and a warrior. Also, maybe he has a lust for adventure. However, one primary thing that we keep seeing is that Thor does have a lot to learn. So we did mention him getting notably upset by his father in *Harbard's Law*. He did; he was quick to anger at Loki when Loki um, cut off Sif's hair, which ultimately resulted in uh, Thor getting Mjolnir. That story, anyway. Thor supposedly killed the um, the Wall Builder. The, the wall of Asgard. It depends on the sources. Some of them say that it was Thor, but some of them just say it was like an it was the Aesir nearby that killed uh, that killed the wall builder. And then um one story that we want I wanted to like go over was Thor versus Hrungnir. So th- this was another story that was started by the god Odin. So Odin challenged the abilities of Hrungnir's who's a giant's horse and this resulted in a race or really a chase from the Giant's Hall all the way to Asgard, or it ended up in Asgard accidentally. So, at this point, since Hrungnir arrived in Asgard, he was considered a guest by the gods, so the gods fed him and gave him a lot of alcohol. When Thor arrives, he was none too pleased that there was a giant present, and he was very angry. After Hrugnir drunkenly insults the gods and states that he's going to kill them all, with the exceptions of Freya and Sif, Thor's wife, um, him keeping both of them for himself, Thor challenges him to a duel, a duel where Thor eventually kills him.
0: And that, uh, I think in our episode on that, we really went through Snorri's version, right? The Snorri really kind of spells out this, uh, sequence of events, but more in a, not in a poetic way, in a prose way. So I, I found as, you know, just doing a little research for the episode, um, it's called House It's a 10th century Skaldic poem. Where was it? 12th or 13th century? When, uh, Snorri wrote 13th Found the, uh, in the 13th yeah. century. Yeah, so this was quite a few, a couple hundred years earlier. So I might just read the poem. It's a, it's a little bit of a longer poem, but that idea of what were some of the original sources that Snorri is drawing from. So it doesn't give that whole story of Chrongnir, uh, but let's see if I can find where it starts. Here we go. So it reads, also can be seen on the circle, O cave fire tree. How the terror of giants made a visit to the mound of Griotun. The son of Lord drove the game of iron, and the moon's way thundered beneath him. Wrath swelled in Meli's brother. All the hawk's sanctuaries found themselves burning, because Uller's stepfather and the ground all low was battered with hail, when the goats drew the temple power to the easy chariot forward to the encounter with Romnir. Svolnir's widow practically split apart. Balder's brother did not spare the greedy enemy of men. Mountains shook and rocks smashed. Heavens above burned. I have heard that the watcher of the dark bone of the land, of Hackey's carriages, moved violently in opposition when he saw his warlike slayer. Swiftly flew the pale ice ring beneath the soles of the rock garter, The bonds caused this. The ladies of the fray wished it. The rock gentlemen did not have to wait long after that for a swift blow from the tough, multitude-smashing friend of the hammer-faced troll. The life-spoiler of Belly's bale troops made bare of the noisy storms. Secret refuge fall fell on the shield island. There sank down the the gully-land prince before the tough hammer and the rock dane breaker forced back the mighty defiant one and the hard fragment of the whetstone of the visitor of the woman of vignir's people whizzed at the ground's son into his brain ridge so that the steel pumice still stuck in odin's boy's skull stood there splattered with endiri's blood until ale gefun began to enchant the red boaster of being rust's bale, from the inclined slopes of the wound, giving God's hair, the wound giving God's hair. Clearly, I see these deeds on Getir's fence. I received the border's moving cliff, decorated with horrors from leaf it's a little hard to follow without the commentary. No, it notes. really is. And what did you think, Sean? Well no,
1: I, I just love yeah. that um because like I, I was following it along with you as you read it, but I see like yeah. where every time they had a kenning that was in reference to to Thor, it would put Thor in yeah. brackets or it'd put like giant in brackets right. and uh <laughs> let's see, Hammerface Troll was apparently a Kenning for Mjolnir. Um yeah. Multitude Smashing Friend is Thor, Baldur's Brother is Thor, the Rock yeah. Dane Breaker was Thor, <laughs> and then uh, Yeah. Wraith swelled in Mellie's like It's like
0: Thor's name. Yeah, it's almost like Thor's name can't be spoken. You have to say it all these different ways. Yeah. Right?
1: Well, I guess that's, that's why Kennings are so fun, but they, they allow us to like right. make with it what we want, I guess.
0: An interesting one at the beginning where it says, Oh, uh, cave fire tree, how the terror of giants made a visit to the mound of Griotun. That cave fire means gold. Yeah. It's like gold shines like fire and maybe dig it out from a cave and that the tree is man. So basically, Oh, golden man, how Thor, the terror of giants. And so that idea, I don't know if the, the golden man is Balder or God or the king, or yeah, some of these are really hard to make sense of. And the other thing that they wouldn't say out loud, they keep talking about some kind of a circle. It's the idea that the guy, the poet reading this story, he had a shield. With all of these designs, so as they're presenting this shield, or the king already had this shield, the poet comes up and tells you the story about what's uh, carved into your shield. Yeah. So that's the intro and the ending that really are very hard to make sense of. He's just explaining that this is a shield we're uh, telling the story from.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. No, I like that. I, I haven't. I haven't the, really reviewed that poem previously. So.
0: Yeah. And then that, uh, was it Gifun who pulled, tried to pull the whetstone back out of Thor's head or a different character?
1: I don't believe so.
0: They say it's Groa. So that Ale Gefun is Groa. So I don't know if like Gefun, the goddess of fields.
1: Yeah. She's like, uh, plowing? yeah, she is. She's like the goddess of agriculture, I think. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think she was, so I think Groa she has some, some connection yeah, to Odin as well, but
0: right. But uh, yeah, so hopefully the fans enjoyed that. This, this is how weird Norse mythology is, or Norse uh, poetry, or especially skaldic poems are uh, try, trying to come up. Oh, and then the other good one. So as it said, that the, uh, I think there's that part in the story where Thor throws a shield, or there's a shield underneath the giant. The giant's trying to protect himself from Thor coming up from underneath yeah. him. So he's standing on a shield. Um, but then they say that the bonds caused this the ladies of the fray wished it for, for the giant to die um that the bonds it says in quotes that the the bonds are the gods so somehow they call the gods the bonds to me it sounds like the 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 weaving of fate yeah that the the that fate is what caused this when it says the bonds are the you know like strings or ropes Yeah. and, and then the ladies of the fray are the valkyries so that the Valkyries are involved in your fate of whether you die or yeah. not. that's uh
1: no i think that's definitely a good connection like i would uh my first thought was like if the gods are like the forces of nature you could like say like everything is connected and maybe that's what the bond is but uh i think in this i think with the overall theme of norse mythology or at least what we've discussed it would probably be something along the lines of fate yeah
0: and then the you know thor arrives and there's hail coming down and the, the goats are drawing his chariot but then it says that svolnir's widow practically split apart yeah that the earth nearly split apart but i can't remember that uh that Earth was married to Svolnir. Is that anything we know about?
1: I, I, it's funny because, like, I was fo- when I followed along with you. That's where I was like, wait a second. Um, as we see, like, <laughs> yeah. many characters have multiple partners.
0: No, so I want to know who Svolnir is, but that's uh, Earth's uh, former uh, old man. Let's see. <laughs> maybe before Odin. I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. Well, I'll look into it. We can uh, maybe post it on Twitter or something. But uh, anyway, with this, yeah, if anybody knows that. So yeah, with this story, just one other thing I wanted to note: um, it doesn't show up in the poem, but it does show up in Scott's Copper Mall. Thor does get stuck after, under Hrungnir's leg after killing him, and the only of the Aesir that can actually lift Hrungnir off is his three is Thor's three year old son Magni. And so Thor, as a result of this, gives him Hrungnir's horse Gullfaxi, which kind of enraged Odin. But anyway, like with this story, Thor was quick to rage, and he was a great fighter, and that's all he needed for the sake of this story. So. Like You could look at this story and say, well, Thor won. The realm has one less giants to worry about, so this is a great story. Um, however, the next story that we're going to be discussing here shows that Thor just being a great warrior does not always solve everything. So we're going to talk a little bit about Thor's failures and embarrassments with Utgarda loki where Hangry Thor first shows up. And with this story, it it sort of does come off as a series of tests for Thor, perhaps like a test or a lesson of mercy and humility or like powerlessness or something like that. So the story starts with Thor granting mercy. And this is where I like what you said earlier with how like Thor may have been like worshipped by like the lower class. Thor. The story starts with Thor granting mercy to the farmer and his wife by not killing Thealfi and Raskva. So,
0: it's, yeah, good. I was just saying also to that point, right? Because the, the poem I read is just like Thor shows up and everyone's, and he, and he saves the day, right? But then when Snorri does it, he puts kind of bookends on either side being like, you know, Odin set this thing up for Thor, right? And then also that Thor couldn't solve it on his own. The giant fell on him and he needed his son to save him, right? That part that over those centuries, uh, Thor became a little bit less, uh, you know, Thor, you're too full of yourself. You yeah. can't just be letting you save the day all the time. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, and like Thor, like Thor is like one by one, he like has all these lessons where he like realizes he can't do everything on his own. But anyway, so like with this first part of the story, um, Thor is on an adventure with his goats and Loki is present as well. And Thor consumes his goats every night for sustenance, but then he brings them back to life the following day so he can like travel with them um, on his chariots. So he stops at this farmer's house and after they consume the goats, the farmer's son, Thialfi consumes the bone marrow out of one of the bones. And so when Thor resurrects them the next day, he realizes that one of the goats can't really walk because of that so thor initially wants to kill them um, but the farmer begged for forgiveness like begged for mercy and so thor does spare thiafi but he takes on thiafi and um, the daughter of Askva as like his own servants so they continue this journey and um on the journey they at nighttime there starts a storm thor and company sleep in what they think is a shelter you find out that it is really the glove of the giant Skrymir, who we later find out is Utgard Loki. So you have Thor sleeping in a glove, something that he is made fun of by Loki and Lokusena. And then later in this story, while Skrymir is traveling with them, Skrymir offers his food to Thor, but Thor is unable to open the knapsack of the giant. And so he goes grows rather hungry, or excuse me, he grows rather angry, perhaps hangry because he's not able to eat. And as a result of this, when Skrymir is trying to sleep that next night, Thor, on three occasions, tries to kill him with Mjolnir. Again, while the giant slept, but each time he hit the giant with Mjolnir, the giant woke up, sort of confused as to what happened. At first, he mentions that a leaf may have fell on his head. The next time, it's an acorn, and the the third time, it's um I there might be birds in the trees above me or something like that. So that kind of ends their journey with Skrymir. Skrymir then gives Thor advice on how to present himself when he gets to Utgard. Ultimately, the advice is sort of to like not be so arrogant. He also says what Thor should do is just to turn around and not go. All right, so we can take a uh, break there. Does that make sense, David? Did I did I miss anything or anything you want to add?
0: Yeah, it does. It, it, the detail that's always it's, you know I think shows up in three or four other poems is him hiding, taking shelter, right, hiding in the glove. I try to figure out why that's such a bad thing. I mean, other than it shows that Thor's just like a little man. Like he fits, he's the size of the thumb of the giant. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that the poem is not obvious to me why that means something so significant, but I'm sure back then they, you know, got the reference or, uh, metaphor a little better, but, uh, and then I just remember I really like Thealfi. It's also that part that the, the way Loki tricks him is he's like, if you break open the leg and eat the marrow, that's how you get big and strong like Thor. And he's like, thanks Loki, I'm gonna yeah. do it.
1: <laughs> but no, it's it's funny because like he in like with Thealfi, like Thor takes mercy on him, and Thealfi actually plays a part in like future stories. He actually takes part in uh, later in this story, um, but he always like yeah. seems to be around there. So like you can argue that Thealfi is a um, like a boy, like a boy of Midgard, and so like he's actually tagging along with Thor. So. Kind of eating that bone marrow, like you—you you could imagine, like um, a farmer like a, a farmer's boy could only dream to like be the servant of a god, and he gets to do it with Thor. So, yeah,
0: but he's also supposed to be like the fastest human being that ever lived. So, the, the is a, a very special sidekick. It's and it's part that you know it's interesting because a uh, Skrymir is the giant, but also called Utgarda Loki, and then Loki's also in the story. And that part of you know what is what does it mean that he's is he? The Loki that still lives out in a uh, in Utgard in the uh, Jotunheim. That well, I think I'll wait till you get to the next part. But basically, just that kind of previewing a little bit of how Loki helps you figure out what you need to learn. Right? He's tricking you, but also like tricks you into figuring out what you need. You know, yeah. That, yeah. Tricked Thor into taking the sidekick along. Right? Things like that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so when they when they do get to Utgard, Loki and I didn't add this in the notes, but they have trouble like opening the door. So luckily, Thor is able to like shimmy in. Um so like that's like another instance of Thor being small just like he was in the glove. Yeah. But at this at this hall there's like a series of contests that take place to kind of like test the um you know test like one skill or another with like Loki, Thialfi and Thor. And in these contests Thor fails a drinking contest. He's typically known as being like a you know a huge consumer of alcohol. He fails this drinking contest. He fails to pick up a cat. And he fails to best an old crone in a wrestling match. Um, and then, like, I know you mentioned, like, Thealfi. Thialfi loses a, uh, a race, um, despite being, like, the fastest man alive. Loki loses an eating contest um, against Logi. And so, like, the three of them are kind of humiliated at this point. So, though Thor and crew did fail, it turns out Thor did not do nearly as bad as he originally thought on this venture. So after these contests, the next morning, utgard loki admitted that he feared how much power he saw in Thor during these contests for having like some effect on what you find out are three forces of nature. So first of all, you find out that utgard loki is Skrymir at this point. In the three times that Thor hit um, Skrymir with the hammer, it created three great valleys and nearly killed him each time. You find out that the ale that he drank and he wasn't able to empty from this horn, was actually the, the um all of the, the water in the oceans in the world. And the cat that he failed to pick up was actually the world serpent Jormungandr, which is funny because Loki was present there and Loki is Jormungandr's father, uh, but that's not mentioned in the story. And then the old crone that he wrestled with was actually old age. So you hear, like, what's interesting here, and I've always liked this, is that Utgard Loki admits that Thor was like, so powerful that he would not have even invited him in if he knew that he was this powerful. And he says that Thor, a God actually had an effect on these three forces of nature. Like, um, you know, the, the, the actual ocean, like the world serpent, which represents like what the events at Ragnarok, I would imagine. And then old age, which is something that comes for us all. And so Thor was actually almost to not best them, but he made an impact on these forces of nature, which I always thought was interesting. So, I am curious, David, like, do you think what like lessons did Thor potentially learn here?
0: That, this one, who, who should be the right director that will choose when we make the big cinematic version of uh, the story of Udgarda Loki? Oh,
1: I, I don't know. I think we settled for a Tarantino, but.
0: <laughs> no, well, he said not Michael Bay. If it's not Michael Bay, I don't know any other directors to uh, off the top of my head.
1: Well, since know, there's, there's a there. switch at the end with Udgarda Loki coming out as a air, you could say like End Night Shyamalan or something
0: yeah but that you need the, the idea that this one's all about illusion magic right that this the, the, the loki uses these illusions so you said like yeah loki couldn't even tell this was jormungandr right and uh and thor certainly couldn't either right that that idea of recognizing your illusions or your self-deception is actually an idea that i'm you know reading all the time with the stoic, stoic philosophy recognizing your impressions right that you you see these things in the world and You have a impression about it. You have a judgment about it, what you think it is, but are you seeing reality the way it is? Or are you seeing it as, you know, getting so swayed by your passions, right? And how passionate Thor is. Yeah. So these ideas really parallel. It's hard for me sometimes to explain why the, why the mindfulness is actually relevant when we're talking about, uh, philosophy, you know, philosophical journey or, you know, self-transformation. But that part of, you have to be able to pay attention. You have to be able to catch all these little things, um, to notice you're getting fooled by your own impressions. That's that's essentially what I see, like a a deep takeaway uh, from some of this. And then that part too, right? It doesn't matter how strong you are. Thor can be the strongest being in the world with the mightiest weapon. Mm -hmm. But if you're deceived, if you're pointed in the wrong direction, you're not going to do much good, right? And it's a weird thing just popped into my mind. Uh, I think a nice lesson, it was something my dad told me when I was very young. That was very meaningful. It really stuck with me. Uh, cause I was a big kid. I was always like one of the largest kids in my, in my class. And he said, you're not always going to be the strongest. And even similarly, you're not always going to be the smartest. Basically, if you build your self-esteem based on I'm the strongest person and then you find someone who's stronger than you, well, now you're nothing. Cause you built build your self-esteem on that. If your self-esteem is based on I'm the smartest kid in the class and, and then you go to a bigger school and there's a couple kids smarter than you. Now you're nothing. Yeah, Right. But that idea, you know, so what do you build your self-esteem on? Um, I remember how my dad said it. it was something along the lines of being kind being a good friend you know you can't you know i'm the most kind person right it's like i'm the most humble right it's like it's not really a competition right to just be to be kind to be good towards other people that's the thing you can maybe build your um, self-worth around yeah so that's not exactly what thor gets but it, thor kind of gets halfway oh. there i think with this being like you're not always going to be the strongest Thor. you can't just smash everything and solve
1: uh the problem. well no I, I really like that a lot um i think that's i think that's a stronger connection than maybe maybe you think it is just because like let's say you look at thor as like a 20 year old and he's like a he's very into his health he he works out all the time he maybe is an mma fighter or something and he's like a, he's like great like a modern day warrior or something like that he may be very strong and do everything right but by the time like maybe he's in his late 30s um you know there's going to be somebody who's 22 who can probably beat him and so, at that point, like, what does he have? He's like, he used to be a great warrior, but like, has he grown enough to be, really be able to make an impact on the world that he that he wanted to? And so, I do, I do like the it's, yeah, good.
0: It's it's great if you're an amazing MMA fighter. That doesn't help if you get jumped by five guys at once. I mean, maybe yeah. maybe you're that good, but that idea. Maybe it's good to have friends. Maybe that's helpful, right? And he's got the Alfie here, and he's got Loki, and you know, he's got friends.
1: Yeah, yeah. and so like. And you know, we see this like uh and we mentioned this earlier and we see this like in his le- um, some a few other stories and some of them we're going to be discussing next week where Thor like needs to rely on others to like help him um, and so he can't just like beat everything up and I think that this could be like looked at as like a good lesson. Um, we know he got like dressed down by Odin and he like lost the game of insults or the contest of insults, but like in this story, he literally played to his strengths of being like a strong drinker and you know, a very strong being, and he, like, got knocked down a peg. And so I think the lesson that here is exactly that, like, you can't just go through life, you know, muscling your way through something, you need to find other ways to grow, you know, to, like, make yourself a more fulfilled person, or, like, a full person, I guess.
0: Oh, yeah. And these are actually all the Havamal virtues, too, right? I, I I think it's probably in Havamal that part where, you know, what what is Odin's claim to fame in a Harbard's Lot, lo- or what is Harbard's claim to fame in Harbard's Lot? He's, like, I went out to battle and I slept with all the women, right? And it's like wonderful, that's great. Don't be impressed by that, right? Don't be a Thor where you're like, oh wow, tell me more, right? That you've no, you've lost. This is very much a Stoic idea too, right? You've, you've lost the battle if you're too impressed by them. Rather just be like, oh, that's interesting, it's nice, good, good for you, right? That uh, as as uh, is teaching him here, don't get too drunk when you go in there. Don't be too full of yourself bragging. Don't talk too much, Thor. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that uh, and I think there was something else in here too. That very much was that that Havamal. Oh, and yeah, have allies, arm your friends, right? What's what's better than a sword having a friend with a sword, right? So it's, um, or it's better than having two swords, maybe something like that, yeah. But uh, so that these are you know the, the story poetic ways to kind of reinforce all those ideas that are in the Havamal as well,
1: yeah, for sure. But yeah, like I always thought the ending of this story was really cool, like after he realizes that he was tricked in these contests but then like you to loki pretty much says like yeah you scared the hell out of me um i never want you to come back yeah. like i'm curious as to and, why he told and he dis- told and disappears yeah.
0: yeah and i think he disappears in a puff of smoke and it's like you know it you, doesn't matter how good your hammer is if a guy can disappear in front of you you cannot defeat him
1: yeah so, so like i'm wondering yeah, I'm what the point of like telling thor that was but uh we do know if you like the next chapter in gilfaginine because um that story is from Gylfaginning. The next chapter is Thor's fishing trip. And it kind of says, it kind of implies or, or like outright says that Thor went after the Jormungand of went after Jormungandr because of his embarrassment. So maybe he didn't necessarily yeah. learn the lesson that he wanted to, but um, he's still like rather upset for being yeah. slighted by a cat or, or Jormungandr being disguised as a cat.
0: No, but yeah, Thor is not hearing the lesson. He's like, you know, feeling so, you know, shamed properly is the right word. That then he is like, I'm gonna go prove to you I can wrestle that giant serpent that surrounds the entire world. And again, it's always these images of Thor and the water, right? That the, the the water represents the feminine. Sometimes it also kind of represents the depth, right? So Thor being kind of a you know one dimensional surface character, yeah, he needs to find the depth, and he's. Um, certainly trying to find that here wrestling with the serpent
1: yeah and i know we've always come back to thor with water as you just mentioned like so we mentioned uh yeah. you know he had trouble getting across the water and thor the ferryman he's in the water and he fails on thor's fishing trip he uh yeah. and the story with garrett's core which i think we i put down that we're going to be discussing next week he has trouble getting across the water and then when they when they caught loki after before loki's torture. I think he was the one that had to catch him. So he did see some success there, but um, we will uh, we can explore that a little bit next week. Yeah, that Loki becomes a
0: fish because what is Thor's greatest weakness? I'll hide in the water. He can't get me there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so speaking of Thor's fishing trip, that's going to be the last story that we discussed today. And uh, there are two versions of it. One's going to be from Gilfaganin from the Prosetta. And um, the other one is from the poetic edda, the poem Um So we'll start with the Prosetta since it is like a direct sequel to Utskarta Loki. And we're gonna we're gonna just run through it really quick because we did a separate episode on this story. But Thor goes out to find the world sermon Jormungandr, because he was slighted. So he's disguised as a boy, and so like I'm wondering if he learned this trick from if not Loki his father, in Laud. and he arrived at a giant's home named Hymir, where he stayed the night. So the next day Thor asked to go fishing with Hymir. Hymir agreed, though he wondered what help the boy in quotes would be. Thor gets an ox's head for bait. And while at sea, Thor rows out further than Hymer had wanted. Hymir grows scared at this point.
0: It's also a worthwhile detail that uh continuing your point that Thor is not getting the message, he's not learning the lesson yet, that he also eats like both of their oxen. Yeah. So the part like, you know, you don't eat at them out of house and home. You know, they're they're going to feed you. Don't eat all their food. And yeah, Thor did not get that message in uh, the
1: story. Yeah, I think when he's angry he just eats more. Um <laughs> So anyway, while it's here, Thor rose out farther than Hymir had wanted, he casts his line and ends up hooking Jormungandr. The battle was so strenuous that Thor's feet went through the bottom of the boat. And Thor was about to, as Thor like, pulled the, um, the world serpent up, he grabs Mjolnir and he is about to cast the fatal blow with his hammer. However, Hymir, now deathly afraid, cut the line before he was able to do so. So Thor was so pissed off that he punched Hymir off the boat, probably killing him, and went back to shore. So that was the prosetta. So for the Poetica version, it was a little bit of a different circumstances with Hymir. Hymir's concubine was actually Tyr's mother, who was Tyr being present on the journey with Thor. And so while hosting Thor and Tyr, Thor consumed two of Hymir's bulls, as you mentioned, which angered him. However, the reason why they went fishing was in order to find more food, So, because Thor ate it all. So Thor again got an ox's bait, although it was one of Heimir's ox, which angered him even further. And on the trip, Heimir ends up catching two whales. Thor successfully hooks Jormungandr and does hit him with Mjolnir, but the beast just sank back to sea. And in this version uh, of the poem it's like the middle portion of the entire thing and it's not the point of the story is not just that thor went fishing whereas the pro pro set version was that thor went fishing um there was a few other events that happened in this poem and like one of the events later in the story you hear about thor's goats lame legs so that's how he met Thiafi after this after this portion in the poetic edda poem and hymir eventually being so pissed off sends out fire giants against thor after thor and Tyr left but Thor made short work of them. So he killed all the fire giants.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so that, yeah, uh, good.
0: So he hooks, he hooks Jormungandr here and hits him, but he doesn't kill him. Do, do you remember any, any details from what happened when Thor uh, does battle with him in this version? Um,
1: the poetic edit version I have is downstairs, but it says that the beast sank back to sea.
0: Yeah. So kind of that he, he probably didn't kill him, but he, uh, I don't know, sort of put him back in his place. Yeah, It was my interesting thought this time is we talked about how it was Hymir that cut the line, being like, Thor, you can't kill Jormungandr. There's some reason why you're not allowed to kill him, right? So the idea that a lot of the giants, especially Loki, Loki's a giant, right?
1: Um, He's or, like half-giant. He's half-giant. As, mo- as most of them but, are, um,
0: yeah. Right. But that, uh, that they often serve as something that's kind of like the shadow or the trickster kind of things that... But that it's it's not just that the shadows a bad thing. Being like, oh, he's such a bad guy that he didn't let Thor kill, you know, Jormungandr and save the day. But it's like, no, if you killed Jormungandr now, something worse would happen. Right? You're not you're not allowed to kill him yet. Yeah, um, is just an interesting detail from there. And I'm trying to think, there was something else that stood out to me. The fire giants, right? Because it is like a whole army of fire giants. It's one of those, and that's from the poetic Edda, right? So that part where th- that Snorri's got a problem with Thor. He really does. He wants to minimize Thor every chance he gets because the poetic Edda is before Snorri's time, right? And and it says that Thor can slay a whole army of fire giants. Yeah. Right? So that part of uh, and something about that he can slay the fire, but he can't defeat the water creatures is uh, certainly meaningful symbolism. But I don't quite know. Definitely, that Thor's a very fiery guy, and he's got to yeah keep fueling this furnace, which is Thor, with constant food.
1: Yeah. I don't know how else to take it well no and, and like on that note Snorri was the one that wrote the story of utgarta loki or like we like i believe that's yeah. like again like you have the story with Thialfi that shows up in this story from the poetic edda but the fact that like thor gets embarrassed here is is in snori's work um it says it like thor does succumb to like old age he is not able to drink the entire water of the earth and like in story story's rhetoric could be like oh well because like god created all this. And Thor is not necessarily a God. So we have to minimize him. And, it,
0: and I think it is worth Snorri, even if he's not bringing in, you know, exclusively Christian perspectives, it is bringing in that more, I guess best I would call it as modern, you know, but it's that, uh, it's hard to know what to call some of the, the different cultural things, but it's stuff I take as being from, yeah, like the Roman, Roman Catholic empire kind of ideas, right? That, that you need to be humble, that you need to be ashamed in front of God. Where before a lot of these ideas were really like, no, show your majesty, right? Do not, <laughs> you don't need to, you don't need to humble yourself. You don't need to, you know, be a, uh, I mean, you need to be moderate, right? There, there's all the Havamal virtues, but they're not so much like be ashamed. Yeah. I, I think that's a subtle difference here that maybe Snorri starts to bring in some of that culture. as was an
1: interesting yeah. observation. But uh, I am, I'm curious, like, well, not curious, like it seems like right with this story, Thor gets like another, he gets knocked down a peg because he fails in his yeah. ultimate goal. Maybe not in the poetic ed version but yeah like cuz he does successfully hit Jormungandr over the head but Jormungandr doesn't die but like at least in the pro set of version again written by Snorri, he like fails to deliver that final blow which I know we've discussed in that episode when we when we went over it was because fate would not allow him to do it but like because Thor being like this mighty warrior he's still confined to this like uh, maybe this this like non omnipotent being because the Norse gods are not omnipotent. so yeah. It's
0: interesting also because I'm reading a book on shame right now and I and, and think a lot about shame with uh, being a therapist, things like that, that, uh, th- that shame is the emotion that helps you to fit into a society, right? Society wants you to feel ashamed so you'll do the things that help you fit into society, right? And there's actually something kind of good in there in a way, if you look at it the right way, that is, then you get to fit into society. Don't you want to fit in, right? But that's, it goes back to just all these different cultures and over time, right? That it's interesting to see there maybe was something in the old Norse that was, I think you've said before, right? Very individualistic. Mm. And then culture has shifted times to more uh, communal or collectivistic. At times, you know, you need to fit in, you need to do what the king says, right? Um, And then we swing back to our current culture, which is very individualistic, but also that sometimes then it swings too extreme on, you know, you're all about you, but yes, then you're very lonely and isolated and you're not connected to anything. Or anybody, right? So that idea that the like is it a good myth or is that a good lesson or not, right? It's like the right lesson for the right mm-hmm. time. That sometimes you need more of one, sometimes you need more of the other. Interesting. Yeah. I'm kind of just pondering,
1: right? Well now. no, but like I, I definitely and I think uh, it's gonna be interesting to see when we the next week when we discuss a few other stories where we do see that Thor is more willing to accept help from people. So, like, we're going to be discussing Thor's uh, journey to Garrod's court, where he accepts help from Grid, another one of his father's lovers, how Thor dresses in a wedding dress to get his hammer back while accepting advice from others. And then, like, ultimately, there's one very interesting story from the poetic attic called Avismal, which we also had an episode on, where Thor defeats this dwarf by winning pretty much a game of wits. So, you almost get this idea that, like, Thor is like, has evolved into what his father needed from him at that point. Um, and then we're going to be discussing his uh, his uh, part in the battle at Ragnarok and his ultimate death. But anyway, that's all I had, David. What um, Did you have anything for me? or
0: Just, just a little bit sure. kind of a, a strange idea. And I think just kind of wrapping up my last idea was that, that that question of how do we use it now in our modern culture, right? What are we actually wanting to accomplish? I think it's an idea, right? We, we live in a very unique time where we get to make those decisions. You don't just follow the culture that's there, you really kind of invent your own culture. And this is very much an idea from Carl Jung that um, you know, it is like ever since, uh, you know, Frederick Nietzsche's proclamation that God is dead. And it's not that he decided it, it's that he was just observing that pretty much seems like in society, uh, God is dead. Right? You can, you can go to church, but does anybody really, really believe in it that way? They did back in say the 1500s or 1300s, that, uh, that now we get to choose though, to, to create our own spirituality or something that gives us meaning rather than having it handed to us, right? I think that's why there's, some value in the Norse perspective that was you know, very much more of that kind of think for yourself. It's self interested, but it's not just not just looking out for yourself. That's mm-hmm. kind of the, the moderation, balance, right in those ideas. Um, any thoughts you have on that, Sean? Before i jump jumping all over <laughs> today? Uh,
1: no, nothing too much there. But <laughs> okay, that.
0: The thing I wanted to share, and it's just because, so I did an episode a while back on the I Ching, which is a Chinese book of divination, and it was kind of a follow-up to that idea of the Nordic runes and divination. That it's similarly a, you know, pantheist pagan spirituality sort of idea, very much like yin and yang, looking at, at the different elements in nature, things like that. So it's sort of, they create these archetypes or these symbols, much like the runes, and they're all kind of based on nature. So there's mountains, there's lakes, there's uh, you know things like the sun rising. Uh, I don't know if they have a tree, trees growing, things like that. But they have these 64 different images, and basically you flip coins to find out which image you get. And then to you know to do divination, you know, you, people are like, "What do you mean you're you're reading the future? You're predicting the future?" But it, it's no, it's just like a dream analysis. You project what's going on in your mind into this, the thing that showed up for today, right? So it's like your horoscope reading for today. But you read into it what you want to read into it. But then that tells you something about yourself, how you uh, read into it. But this one has seemed very relevant to uh, to Thor, which is part of why uh, I wanted to share it, just because I got it yesterday as I was uh, flipping through the book. So it has these little poems. And then that's it's kind of like, when we say, what, what do I like about the I Ching? You know, it's, it's one thing if you really know the runes really well, and you know what those symbols mean, so you could, could draw runes out of a bag and know what they're telling you but this kind of skips that step. The book's doing part of it for you. So you just have to see what it means to you. You don't have to do the reading yourself. One way to say that. Uh, any questions there, Sean, on what the E-Ching's the about? Because I think I just did a solo episode. Yeah. I mean, so
1: based on like what I'm seeing here, um, it's that you put down 27. So out of the 64 potential like horoscopes, got. you got right. this one. Okay.
0: Yeah. Right. And it's called either I, like the letter I, like I am I, or the corners of the mouth. So something about a, the, the shape that these, uh, it's a whole thing basically, but it's something of the image. It's eye and it's the mouth and is kind of both of those meanings. But it says, perseverance brings good fortune. Pay heed to the providing of nourishment and to what a man seeks to fill his mouth with. So I'd have to get way too personal to explain all of it. But one of the ways I take it is be careful which of your demons you feed. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not just Literally feeding yourself, but what do you what do you nurture? What do you encourage? What do you um, kind of reinforce in your life? But very much that idea of Thor and constantly stuffing his face and feeding himself, right? That's what is or what does Thor feed himself with as he
1: or yeah? And like it's funny because my first thought came to like social media and like people uh, going on there just like with the intention of subconsciously making themselves upset. And so yeah. like, that's literally what you are feeding, like your mind with, you know, like if you're doing it right. first thing in the morning, like I do, which is probably not good. Yeah. I think that kind of applies here, but.
0: And, and I used to do it a lot more in that idea, like, oh, I need to be informed on current events, but why, what, what does that accomplish? Right. But, but it makes me a good person to care about the world and be informed. It's like, no, you're just making yourself well, Right. Yeah. And that's, that's how you want to see it. Uh, that's how I see it, obviously. But so they had these, the, the one is kind of that, you know, the. And if you persevere, there will be good fortune. So keep doing what you're doing, but uh, be careful what you're feeding yourself. Be careful what you're reinforcing is like the, uh, you know, you're supposed to figure out, does that mean I should go buy a new car or not? Or Depends what kind of question you're looking for, right? But um, the second poem is, and this goes to the images, the the archetypal images that come from nature. And I think it's Taoism that inspires the I Ching. Um, But it says, at the foot of the mountains, Thunder, the image of providing nourishment. Thus, the superior man is careful of his words and temperate in eating and drinking. So it's interesting as we think about Thor, mountains crashing, Thor is the god of thunder. And be careful of your words, be moderate in how you eat and drink. Yeah, have right? all, all, virtue. Thor lessons, yeah, right. And it's coming from, uh, I think it's like 400 BC, Chinese text mm-hmm. kind of idea. So the idea of somehow these, you know, these are all archetypal uh, nature images that uh, continue through. So the, and it was, I think it was another quote in there. Let's see. The, the, yeah, it was, this is out of the I Ching, that, uh, that God comes forth in the sign of arousing thunder. When in spring, the life forces stir again, all things come into being anew. So it's very fitting, this idea of spring, just a little bit past Easter, that Thor is kind of a god of spring and fertility. And that just kind of as we're planning for the episode got me really thinking about this part of who is the the lover archetype, right? That, that Freyer is supposed to be kind of the fertility god, the lover. We don't get that many good stories with Frey, right? That Thor being the warrior, but but he's, you know, and he's very passionate, right? So he's kind of he's kind of in touch with love. He's very, you know, uh, defends other people. That's the idea of kind of why is he a good warrior, right? He defends other people. He's very much standing up for his wife when uh, Sif cuts off her hair, right? Things like that. Thor's a little bit of the lover, too. It's the idea of the, the warrior with the lover kind of connected. But the part that he doesn't quite have the king or magician, the, mm-hmm. kind of that wisdom or leadership role yet, right? But he has these two kind of figured out is something that stands up to me. Any thoughts you have,
1: Sean? Uh, no, I don't. I mean, it, this all makes sense, though. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's strange that I flipped three coins last night and this is what I got, right? It's perfectly on the topic for the show. So I'm like, eh, I'm sure yeah, I'm going to share it on the show. Yeah, I mean,
1: d- definitely that but, uh, one quote was like, it It seems like it's coming straight out of uh, Habemal. And it's like right. this quote that you just mentioned, like God comes forth and the sign of arousing thunder. And then it mentions like spring and like rebirth. That's definitely like, a theme that we do see in, in Norse mythology pretty consistently. But it kind of also yeah. just like, it also like leads to like the idea that you will die like type of thing and so it's going to yeah. it's going to continue like life is going to continue in some capacity
0: and it's also that throughout your life you have all these cycles right so it's you know every year another spring right all these opportunities for rebirth and then that's a new opportunity for how you feed yourself right that part of uh, you know it's it's with thor it's very literal but also it can be metaphorical and then originally the image i couldn't understand like why is it called i but also the was it the open mouth or the uh the corners of the mouth but that idea of I being the ego strength right. that you need to feed your ego in a certain way, right? You feed your ego because it's the one that chooses, do I actually want to look at Facebook today or not? Right. And that's if you're practicing mindfulness, if you're conscious, you make that choice, right? You're feeding the right thing. Otherwise you're possessed by Thor and you just do whatever the, uh, the forces in your head tell you to do without making a conscious decision. Yeah. So it's, it's why I like all these things, you know, it's that idea is that it, it gets you, gets you thinking about things. It gets you speaking this language of images and dreams and poetry and all of that. Because sometimes they're things that are not, you can't logically argue any of this, right? You can't logically prove, is Facebook a good idea? Is artificial intelligence a good idea, right? But you read a poem and then it's like, you know, it feels like a really bad idea, right? And that's, uh, you know, how else are you going to get some of those answers? Nothing else can answer it. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: That's my little demonstration on on the I Ching and divination and all of this reading reading archetypes for today.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so did you have anything else, or?
0: No, I think that's it. we they, will have a part two. I'm sure I'll have some more interesting things. I like that hero's journey stuff, but I'll, I'll wait for that after I think we uh, see how Thor, the idea of the, the hero's journey is that, yeah, that you need to go to the underworld. You need to hit rock bottom. You need to get knocked down a notch to actually finish the hero's journey. So I think that's what's coming up.
1: For yeah, me. and that's not unlike what happened to Odin, because he like literally went to the underworld. And like he got like yeah. this devastating news that kind of like fucked him up. So like I don't know. And like in Waking of in the Dead, Sirius and Yeah. I like that.
0: But that part then that, that Odin Odin made it to the underworld. He learned all of that, but he didn't learn the lesson he needed to learn. He still kept fighting fate. That idea. Yeah. Does Thor learn it a little differently? And as much as we've done the myths already, I don't know how to answer that yeah. question off the top of my head. But I think we'll see it next. Yes,
1: time. definitely. Cool. Well, thank you, thank you, David. I'm glad that we did another morning episode. I feel yeah. more alive as opposed to like after work. So <laughs> hasn't drained all your energy. Yeah, gets you invigorated for yeah, the day. I'm still drinking my coffee. Um, but anyway, thank you for listening, to everybody, and we will see you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to Between Two Ravens. If you've been enjoying our show, please write a five-star review on iTunes to help spread our podcast to a wider audience. See the show notes below for links to follow us on social media. Our podcast is part of the Walled Garden Podcast Network. The Waldgarden Philosophical Society is committed to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever it might be found. Visit thewaldgarden.com to learn more.